She was just distressed because she's going, Charlie, when I go back home, there is a boy that wants to date me, and I know his expectation is to sleep with me. And he is a Christian boy. And she's going, I've never slept with anybody. I have no intention of sleeping with anybody until I get married. But she says, I know no Christian who is not sleeping with their boyfriend. And no Christian young man who is not expecting that from his Christian girlfriend. None. That's how bad it's gotten in Europe. And she goes, do you understand what I'm, what I'm going to be facing when I go home? But God's word is still true. He, we cannot do well and live that way. God's word is absolutely true, regardless of what the society around us is telling us. We have, you know, when people are 18, 19, 20 years old, they have this thing in their head that they think that they can do well on four, five, six hours of sleep every day for a year. And they are so sleep deprived that they think they are functioning at their peak capacity and they have no idea what their peak capacity is anymore. They start getting eight, nine, ten hours of sleep, which God designed for an 18, 19 year old, and all of a sudden they're going, man, I'm thinking like I've never been able to think before. I'm more focused than I've ever been focused before. And see, but in the midst of the sleep deprivation, they don't even know what normal is. That's what sin does to us. We can't even rightly ascertain our own spiritual condition. We can't rightly ascertain our own souls because we are so corrupted by the sin. Occasionally we'll have somebody that comes into his hill or even will come into a church. I'll, I'll never forget bringing inner city boys down from Dallas once or twice a year with me, kids that I was involved with there, and I'd drive them down here and We'd spend one night at his hill camping out and one night with my parents. And, and I'm, man, I tell you, I had, you know, six or seven of these boys, you know, and, and they're all, you know, 10, 12 years old, that age, age span. And we walk in the dining room at, at his hill and ate and came back, and, you know, we're, we're talking later, and they're, and, they're going, and they're going, Charlie, that bicycle, that kid's bicycle is out there on the lawn, and there was no chain on it. It was just laying there. How come, some, how come nobody steals that bicycle? And I go, because nobody would steal it. And they said that, that cafeteria door, that dining room door, it didn't have a lock on it. So how come there's no lock on that door? We've never seen a door that didn't have a lock on it. And I go, because there's no need for a lock. And it's like they had dropped in from another planet. They're going, we have never seen a place like this. And, and, it, and you go, and see, and on their side, they can't even comprehend what normal ought to be. What good is, you see? They have no context of what good is. And when you're living in the good, you don't even appreciate what you got until you lose it. And you go, man, what was I thinking? Right? That's the deceitfulness of sin. The Lord is for the body. And when God says no to premarital sex... It isn't because he wants to hurt us. Nobody could be more for us than God is. How much is he for us? Look at the next verse. And this is, I think this verse 14 is written as the proof of God's commitment to us. 
Now God has not only raised the Lord, but will also raise us up through His power. That's how committed He is to this body. And when Paul talks about body, he's talking about all of us, not just the physical part. But this, God is so committed to you and me that even when we are dead and the worms are eating us and nobody would want to dig us up and look at us, God is going to raise us up to glory. You can't get more committed than that. You ever been around a rotten corpse? I don't even like driving by them on the highway, right? All those dead deer laying out on the highway. And you go, oh man, they stink and all. <laughs> we're, God says, that's you. You stink. You're going to be worm-eaten, rotten, foul. But I love you, and I'm committed to you, and I'm going to raise you to glory. If God is that committed to this rotten corpse of humanity, can I really think that he would ever say anything that would not be for my good? He is more committed to me than I am to myself, and that's pretty amazing because I'm pretty committed to myself. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Sometimes we, you know, Scripture says no one ever hated his body at any time, but we know that's, that's a generalization. People do hate their bodies. You can't, you know, get up to 400 pounds and not hate your body, right? People that take their lives are hating their body. But Jesus doesn't hate his body. And we are members of his body. And when he says to his body, no to sin, no to sexual immorality, it's because he loves his body. Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? May it never be. Strongest negative in the Greek there is. Very quickly. Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a harlot is one body with her? For he says, the two shall become one flesh. Now, I want us to th just think carefully on this. When a man joins himself sexually to a prostitute, he becomes one flesh with her. That is the most casual sex there is. The prostitute doesn't even use her real name. You couldn't call this a relationship. This is just a sexual encounter. And yet, as casual and flippant as it is, God says a one flesh relationship has been created. And if that's true with a prostitute, then that's true with any and all consensual sexual encounters. A one flesh relationship is created. This is pointing to the sacredness, the sanctity of the sexual union. This is why, why the author of Hebrews will say, the, the fornicator and adulterer God will judge. Because sex is sacred in the, in the eyes of God. Nothing else. Paul's point here is there's nothing else that you could do with your body other than this one thing that would create a one flesh relationship. So this makes sexual sin different than all other sin. I'm not here, careful, I'm not, I don't want to go beyond God's word. It doesn't say it makes it worse than all other sin. But it very clearly, Paul is saying, it makes sexual sin 
is different than any other sin. Because in this, the entire humanity, body, soul, and spirit, not just the body, is joined to another so that the two become one flesh. God intended it to be this way. It doesn't say, again, don't go beyond Scripture. It does not say every person who has premarital sex is married in the sight of God. It does not create a marriage. It does not say that. But it does create a one flesh relationship. Use some logic here with me. And I'm not keen on logic, okay? But I know this much, okay? If you were to say, everyone who has sex is one flesh. If you were to say, so that's the first premise. All who have sex are one flesh. True premise. Second premise. All who are married are one flesh. True premise, okay? So to put that in letter form, A equals C. Second premise, B equals C. A, all who have sex, one flesh. B, second premise, all who are married, one flesh. So A equals C, B equals C, right? The false conclusion is A equals B, okay? So let's put in some other, other terms. All cats are mammals, right? Okay, second premise. All dogs are mammals, right? It's true. False conclusion. All cats are dogs. Okay, A does not equal B. So you see what I'm saying? So everybody that has sex is one flesh. Everybody who is married is one flesh. But that does not say everybody who has sex is married. False conclusion. If that were true, then all incest is marriage. All rape is marriage. All fornication is marriage. All adultery is marriage. And there is nothing in Scripture that says that. Sexual sin is sexual sin. Don't dignify it by saying it is marriage in the sight of God. The woman at the well, Jesus said to her, go get your husband. She says, I don't have a husband. He says, you've answered correctly. You've had five husbands, and now the one that you have, you are not married to. So Jesus made a distinction between marriage and not being married. Having sex, but not being married. Having sex makes you one flesh. And that is a big, big deal. It does not make you married in the sight of God. Verse 17. The one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. You get the parallel? Join yourself to another person sexually and you become what? One flesh. Join yourself to the Lord and you become what? One spirit. Why doesn't it say one flesh when you join yourself to the Lord? Because God doesn't have flesh, right? But when you, become, when you join yourself to the Lord, when you give yourself to Christ, how much is it of you does he get? Just your spirit? No, he gets all of you. And when you join yourself to another person in sex, do they just get your body? No, the point is they get all of you. You see? You can't isolate this out. So sexual union is a complete union, body, soul, and spirit. Just as spiritual union is a complete union, body, soul, and spirit. Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body. It's different. 
But the immoral man sins against his own body, meaning his entire humanity. There is no other sin that will involve your entire person, body, soul, and spirit, like sexual sin does. It will truly destroy you. Because God did not intend for this to happen. You were not created to give yourself body, soul, and spirit to anyone outside of marriage. And if you do, you are damaging your entire being. And you may be too sick, too damaged, to even know that you're damaged. Because that's the deceitfulness of sin. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own. No one has the right. If you are belonged, if you belong to God, you've given your heart to Jesus, you belong to Him, you have received Christ, Paul is saying, you have no right to give yourself to anyone that he has not said you can give yourself to. And the only person he's going to say you can give yourself to sexually, because he's already spoken to this, is your spouse. No one else. You have been bought with a price. What is that price? The blood of Jesus Christ. His very life. Therefore, Glorify God in your body. Everything is at stake. We talk about the sexual revolution that took place in the 60s. We are living it today. It's no longer a revolution. It is the normality today. And we don't even know what we've lost. I can remember a little bit about the 60s. And I remembered enough to I have some understanding of what we've lost. But if you weren't born in those Leave it to Beaver days, you don't even know what normal can look like. And you think there isn't a problem. You know, difficult subject. I thank God that he's spoken so clearly. If we did nothing else with people that we love, who are living in sexual sin than to sit down with them and read chapter 5 and read the last few verses of chapter 6. You don't even need to say anything. How could you read these verses and come away and justify premarital sex, extramarital sex? How could you possibly justify it? The only question then becomes, what is your authority. God's word or yourself. I'll close this in prayer. Lord, these things are very clear and we've needed, we need it to be. Anything else and we would, would rationalize and justify and defend ourselves. It really does come down, God, to what our authority is going to be. I know many of us as Christians have said that we've, we've, we know, God, that people have, have, are so committed to, to evolution because if there is no God, then they can do whatever they want. 
If we are just material beings with no spirits and no souls, then we are unaccountable to anyone. And yet, God, even as your believers, as members of your body, we can also be unyielded and so sick in our souls that we don't even recognize the sickness anymore. Lord Jesus, we come here, we gather, we read your word, and we sing and we pray because we truly want you to be the exalted one in our lives. That you would be lifted up and that we would walk humbly with you in obedience to you. And I pray, God, that you would truly be the authority of our lives. And that where you have spoken, that we would not debate, we would not even hesitate, and we would just say, yes, Lord, thy will be done, not ours. In Christ's name, amen.